Prologue and Chapters 1 through 3 of The Lepers of Molokai. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Lepers of Molokai by Charles Warren Stoddard. Prologue. The afternoon was waning in the tropical seaport. Already the heat was tempered and the glare softened by the humidity of the slowly approaching dusk. A little while and the sun would sink silently into the immeasurable abyss beyond the waves, and the brief delicious twilight bathed for a moment only in the splendor of the afterglow would adorn itself with clusters of trembling stars. At such an hour, beguiled with reveries and soothed by the exquisite fragrance that exhales at dewfall, I was startled by a piercing cry that seemed the last agonizing protest of a riven heart. Not one voice only broke upon the stillness, but another, and another, and yet another, until a chorus of despair rang shrilly over the low-roofed cottages in the grove that stood between me and the not far distant shore. With no little emotion I hurried seaward and speedily overtook a melancholy procession of weeping women, followed by a few silent people who were being conducted with decent haste toward the esplanade of Honolulu. The miserable beings, with the dazed look of lingering death in their fearful countenances, were soon disposed on the deck of a small outward-bound craft, and then in a few moments that intervened between the casting off of the shoreline and the sudden impulse of the little steamer as she swung about in midstream and made bravely for the mouth of the harbor, the pitiful wail of men, women, and children was renewed. Those grouped upon the extreme edge of the wharf were wringing their hands over the water, while rivers of tears coursed down their ashen cheeks. The others, upon the deck of the departing vessel, brooded for a time as in dumb agony, but anon an unearthly cry rang over the tranquil sea. It was their long farewell. The sun, just touching the horizon, seemed to pause for a moment, while the great deep burst into a sheet of flame. Tongues of fire darted and played among the wavelets as they tossed in the evening breeze, and the broad rays shot from cloud to cloud, painting them with glory and crowning the peaks of the beautiful island with red gold. Even the palm trees were gilded, and their plumes glistened as they swayed rhythmically to the low melody of the tide that ebbed beneath them. So faded that ill-starred bark, like a moat in the shimmering sea. A few moments only, and the splendor died away. The twilight glow of the tropics is as brief as it is intense, and the sudden coming of night drew a veil over a picture that, though frequent, is nevertheless painful to the least sympathetic observer. Darkness had come. The silence that came with it was broken only by the splash of ripples under the bow of some passing canoe, or the low moan of the water upon the distant reef. But the mourners were still crouching upon the edge of the deck, whence their eyes had caught the last glimpse of the fading forms of those whom they were never again to behold in the flesh. For those despairing but unresisting souls, 
swallowed up in the transfiguration of the sunset, were lepers. Snatched from the breast of sympathy and from the arms of love, doomed to the hopeless degradation of everlasting banishment, and born in the night to that dim island whose melancholy shores are the sole refuge of these hostages to death, an island as solitary, as silent, as serene as dreamland, mournful Molokai. Chapter 1 For three years and more I had been a resident of the Hawaiian or Sandwich Islands, Twenty years before I had visited that little kingdom and had again and again returned to it with the ardor of first love. The kingdom, which has been called the sweetest and the saddest in the world, has ever possessed for me the greatest interest, and I have learned to know and to appreciate the charmingly ingenuous islanders, who, while they have acquired all the rights and titles to civilization, have likewise been visited by one of the most dreaded ills that flesh is heir to, the Asiatic leprosy. Many a time I had longed to revisit the leper settlements on Molokai, sixteen years before I had first looked upon that ill-fated spot, a village that was then considerably smaller, for the lepers were scattered throughout the kingdom. But my desire was not easily satisfied for there is a justifiable disinclination on the part of the government to permit the curious to explore the settlement and circulate sensational reports concerning the life of the lepers in their banishment. A permission to visit the settlement was finally, by the order of the President of the Board of Health, signed by the Secretary of the Board and forwarded to my address together with a polite letter from the president of the board stating the cause of its delay. It seems that they had resolved that no further permissions should be granted, hoping thus to keep secret the painful truths concerning leprosy in the Hawaiian kingdom. Provided with this necessary passport, I was doubly fortunate in being invited to join two of the government physicians who were about to visit Molokai professionally on a tour of inspection. Thus, one afternoon in October, 1884, I shook hands with Dr. George K. Fitch and Dr. Arthur Moritz on board the inner island steamer Like Like, and shortly after, we three were on our way to Molokai. There was a sunset at sea a late moonrise, and about midnight we came to anchor off Kuanakakai, the chief port of the island, and were presently rowed a long mile to shore in a whaleboat manned by Kanakas. We seemed to have picked this jovial crew up at sea, for the boat was awaiting our arrival far out beyond the reef. Safe on shore, we found the airy cottage of a high chiefess at our disposal, Willing hands brewed deep bowls of chicken broth, and there was an abundance of good bread for our refreshment. This might easily be called a square meal in many parts of the Hawaiian Islands, where the markets are few and meagerly supplied. Our cottage stood close to the shore. The moon was shining upon the sea and sifting through the feathery boughs of the mesquite trees over the white sand that had drifted all about us. Natives gathered around us, 
talking drowsily, yet with no thought of sleep, for the arrival of the weekly steamer is the one event in their aimless and easy lives. Small sleep for us that night. The doctors were diagnosing leprosy over their cigars. I listened or dreamed of my former experiences on the island, which has come to be known as one of the most interesting, though the least visited and most solitary of the group. We dozed a little toward dawn, dozed to the murmur of wavelets that broke very softly upon the shore, not a stone's throw distant. But we were hoping to be in the saddle and away before sunrise, and were astir betimes. As is usually the case with the happy-go-lucky Hawaiian, neither beast nor human appeared until nine o'clock in the day. But we were so glad to get started even at that late hour that we forgave and forgot in a moment. It is a long, hot, dusty ride from the beach to the far edge of the windward cliffs of Molokai. There is no halfway house, no roadside spring, no shelter from the fierce glare of the sun. The salt sea trades blow over the ridge of the island, clothed in clouds of fine red dust, but one is constantly ascending into purer, clearer, sweeter air, and when the rain-swept highlands are reached, the scattering groves of kukui and kamani trees, the deep and verdant ravines musical with sparkling rivulets, the whir of wings, the delicious temperature, the cloud-capped and almost inaccessible heights that shelter the upper regions, beguile one into the belief that he has actually entered another zone. At the end of the third long and monotonous hour we came to a halt and were hospitably entertained by Mr. R. W. Meyer, a pioneer of Molokai, agent of the Board of Health, and superintendent of the leper settlement. On this beautiful height he stands between the world and those who are no longer of it, and but for my passport he could have retained me a prisoner in his family until the return of my companions after their tour of inspection. It is but a mile or two from the Meyer mansion to the brink of the cliff where we were to abandon our horses. There was no longer any need of haste, and we tarried in delightful conversation with the gentleman, whose hospitality is famous and whose home life is almost patriarchal. The ride to the cliff, through a gently undulating land rich in perennial verdure, was most exhilarating our well-baited beasts seeming to enjoy the bracing atmosphere as well as we followed with a light foot the trail that wound among umbrageous groves where the squirrel and the rabbit skipped nimbly anon through grassy meadows the pheasant and the plover darted from underfoot at our approach or beside reedy pools where the wild duck flocked fearlessly and were too bold or too weary after their long flight from Labrador to take wing again. Cattle and sheep covered the hills, but the shy deer were hidden in the brush, where the quail piped and called and the wild dove cooed. Indeed, it was difficult to believe that we were still in the tropics, for all these birds and beasts, save only the far-flying duck, are importations chiefly the property of the king, and each and all of them now thoroughly domesticated. 
Suddenly, we came upon a rustic bar that blocked the way. Here we dismounted, and a lad who had accompanied us thus far took charge of the animals that were to be led back to the pasturage at Mr. Myers, there to await our pleasure. The little luggage we had brought with us, it was as little as possible, was deposited on the grass while we approached a jungle that grew upon the edge of the cliff. Tearing our way through the shrubs and vines, we came upon the brink and looked down. We were three thousand feet in the air. The whole face of the abyss was a cataract of verdure, breaking at intervals into a foam of flowers, and upon the crest of this cataract we were balanced like the birds of the air. Surely it was a bird's-eye view that thrilled us at that moment. There was a great sweep of sky-blue sea, and a greater sweep of sea-blue sky, and between the two we hung suspended among the branches that bent under our weight. A little sail, looking like a snowflake, seemed ready to melt in the dreamy and delicious distance. A rain-cloud was trailing across the horizon, but for this feature we would hardly have known where to draw the line, for sea and sky were as one. Far beneath us was a tongue of land thrust out into the sea. It was sunburnt and dust-colored, blackened at the edges, where the rough lava rocks were uncovered and frothed from end to end with tumbling breakers. Scarcely a tree was visible throughout its length and breadth, but it was divided and subdivided by low stone walls into a thousand small lots of every conceivable shape each one perhaps a birthright, and all of them no doubt under cultivation formerly, for Molokai was once densely populated, and this isolated portion of the island was in those days a popular resort. On one shore of the lowland was a little hamlet, a handful of tiny white cottages scattered in a green and sheltered spot, on the opposite shore, two miles away, was another and somewhat larger settlement with its cottages more scattered and its garden spots less green. Both of these villages were nestling near the cliffs, one of them quite in the shadow. Between the two there were but few habitations, and at the farther end of the lowland, where it jutted into the sea, there were none at all. Near the center of the lowland was a small, low crater, a hillock with a funnel-shaped hollow in the middle of it, and in the bottom of the hollow a pool of water that rises and falls with the sea tide. The whole plain was like a crust over the water, with a broken bubble in the midst of it. This was the site of the leper settlement on Molokai that has been much written about, and most written about by those who have never seen it. Its history is still almost a mystery, save to the few who have been in some way associated with it. Rumors concerning it, whether true or false, it were difficult to determine, have often redounded to the discredit of the Hawaiian government. Certain it is that in some cases the affairs at the settlement have been deliberately, perhaps maliciously, misrepresented. I have read more than one account descriptive of the settlement, the writers of which could never have visited Molokai. Even the geography of the territory was imaginary and absurdly incorrect. 
as for the victims of the plague left howling in their last agonies in the columns of the daily press such cases are unknown in the annals of leprosy the sun was still blazing upon the plain below us we were to foot it down the zigzag trail each with his share of luggage it was every man for himself now but the hindermost had the advantage for there was no one to send tiny avalanches of gravel and dirt into his neck during that perilous descent a little later and the long shadows would begin to swing out from the cliff cooling the downward path we resolved to camp for a while on the breezy heights above the sunlit settlement while we thought on the palms and the still waters we had left that morning the health and happiness that sported beside them and on the abomination of desolation we were likely to abide with before the dusk of the evening had begun to shut it out from our eyes chapter two it is now more than half a century since leprosy was introduced into the hawaiian islands it would be quite impossible to point with certainty to the original case but it is generally understood that the seed of the dreadful malady came from asia and came in the person of an ill-fated foreigner he may or may not have been aware of the incalculable injury he was about to inflict upon a nation that had been until the arrival of captain cook in seventeen ninety almost entirely free from the numerous contagious diseases that prevail among civilized communities but the life he led in hawaii was such as to speedily communicate this mortal disease and it was not long before its unmistakable symptoms were developing in every quarter of the kingdom then would have been a proper time in which to check so far as possible the spread of the pestilence yet even then it was perhaps too late the hawaiians are a sociable people they are continually traveling from one country to another they live in the closest intimacy are generous and hospitable to a fault a hawaiian's home is your home the moment you enter it and so long as you choose to lodge there all that is in the house is at your disposal if your wardrobe needs replenishing you are welcome to the wardrobe of the family though the chances are that you would hardly better yourself were you to appropriate the entire stock it may as well be added here that this custom was general in former years but of late the simplicity and generosity of the natives have been so often abused that a stranger is now greeted with some caution and discrimination leprosy develops slowly one may be a leper for months or even years before the symptoms of the disease begin to discover themselves and at last become externally evident then they are unmistakable but by this time great mischief may have been done and done innocently enough perhaps for the leper will have but recently become conscious of his state thus leprosy spread through the kingdom and spread to such an alarming degree that it became necessary to take public action in the matter the disease is acknowledged by the medical world to be incurable it has ever been so considered and as yet though a thousand experiments have been tried the most hopeful of the scientists have abandoned the field in despair 
the mosaic law was explicit in regard to the treatment of those afflicted by leprosy they were to be set apart without the gates and to walk alone crying unclean unclean their garments were to be burned their houses cleansed and all direct communication between the clean and the unclean was expressly prohibited in like manner segregation was considered to be the only hope of the hawaiian race a suitable spot was sought to which the lepers might be removed where they might be tenderly cared for and jealously guarded and there they were to end their miserable days the prospect of life banishment alarmed the natives both the sick and the hale they were not and they still are not afraid of the disease they are most affectionate people they love their friends with a love passing the love of woman moreover they are fearless of death at heart they are fatalists when the health agent of the government went forth in search of the afflicted hoping to gather them together house them feed them and clothe them at the government expense he found great difficulty in securing any of them at the approach of this health officer the lepers would be secreted by friends who were willing to brave possible contagion rather than part with those so dear to them sometimes the unfortunates were surprised and given into the hands of the police who were to have charge of them until they could be shipped to the new settlement eyewitnesses of the heart-rending scenes that followed these captures will not soon forget the agony of the final partings terrible as was the emergency the voice of the government could justly say with hamlet i must be cruel only to be kind it was a question of saving the remnant of the nation at the price of the hopeless few the little lowland at our feet was found to be by all odds the most desirable locality in the whole group for a settlement such as was proposed there are few white people on the island of molokai this lowland was seldom perhaps never visited certainly there was no necessity of its being visited by those who were not concerned in the welfare of the natives the few settlers old settlers certainly still rusticating on the breezy and unsheltered plains below us could dispose of their birthrights if they chose to do so or they could remain for there was abundant room for all who were likely to find sanctuary in that sad spot there was ample sustenance on both land and sea fishers were living among the foam-crested rocks the husbandman would find an immediate market for his produce and he was alike fearless and hospitably disposed indeed all things considered no better refuge for the leper could be found and so the little lowland under the great windward cliff of molokai was speedily and permanently secured transportation began immediately and for twenty years it has continued it has continued in spite of the pitiful protestations of friends and relations and in spite of the first instinct of humanity the natural appeal of the sympathetic it has continued and it will it must continue until the last vestige of leprosy has disappeared from the kingdom 
hawaii in thus separating the clean from the unclean is following somewhat tardily perhaps the wise and vigorous example of the older commonwealths of the world sir james y simpson baronet of the university of edinburgh in his learned and conclusive essay on leprosy and the leper hospitals of england and scotland gives a list of one hundred and ten leper houses that existed in great britain from the twelfth to the sixteenth century he says by astruce bach and others it has been averred that the leprosy of the middle ages was introduced from the east by those who returned from the crusades though the disease was not unknown on the continent at an earlier period and there were two lazar houses at canterbury during the reign of william the conqueror seven years previous to the first crusade Mezeray records that in the twelfth century there was scarcely a town or village in france without its leper hospital moratori gives a similar account of the extent of the disease during the middle ages in italy old scandinavian historians amply prove that the inhabitants of the kingdoms of northern europe equally became its unfortunate victims in england and scotland during the same period leprosy was as rife as it was on the neighboring continent almost every large town in great britain had a leper hospital or a village near it for the reception and isolation of the diseased some of the cities were supplied with more than one lazar house there were six of these establishments at norwich or its immediate vicinity and five at lynn regis in that age when leprosy flourished laws were enacted by nearly all the powers of europe to arrest its diffusion among their subjects the popes issued bulls regarding the ecclesiastical separation and rights of the afflicted a particular order of knighthood was instituted to watch over the sick according to the tenor of various civil codes and local enactments in great britain and other countries says a writer when a person became afflicted with leprosy he was considered as legally and politically dead and lost the privileges belonging to his right of citizenship thus we dwelt upon a theme that was now continually uppermost in our minds and while we sat upon the brow of the cliff lo the shadows had swung out over the plain and tinted the shallow shoreline of the sea a deeper indigo come let us be going said one of the party whereupon we shouldered our packs and with staff in hand approaching the precipitous trail single file took the first downward step it was like plunging into space chapter three we were dropping slipping shambling down a sharp flank of the cliff that cut the air like a flying buttress by a series of irregular steps we slowly descended, leaping from rock to rock when practicable, but often putting off our packs, sliding into the little ledge below, and then dragging the packs after us. On each side of us was a dense growth of brush, a kind of natural parapet over which we could hurl a stone a thousand feet into the sheer depths. But we could not hear it strike. Seabirds soared above us and below us, 
Sometimes they hovered just above our heads and eyed us curiously. Then with a stroke of their powerful wings they would soar away with a cry that was half fearful, half defiant. My brain whirled as I watched them poised in mid-air and thought of the awful distance between them and the earth. For two hours we continued to descend, often pausing for breath, sometimes sinking through weariness, always wondering if this were not the last turn in the zigzag that seemed to wind on to the end of time. Now and then we came upon the carcasses of cattle that had perished in this awful path, for herdsmen are sometimes driven down the steep incline to supply the leper market, and there is always some loss of life in these cases. At intervals we treaded deliciously cool and shady groves, from under whose dense boughs we could look slantwise into the settlement and see men and women moving to and fro. And so at last we came out upon the treeless plain, faint and footsore, at least this was my state, and began to slowly make our way toward Kalaweo, the chief leper village, about a mile and a half distant. At the lodge, a neat frame building reserved for the exclusive use to the, of the visiting physician and his friends, we deposited our packs, left orders for an early dinner, and proceeded toward the neighboring village. The first glimpse of Kalaweo might lead a stranger to pronounce it a thriving hamlet of perhaps five hundred inhabitants. Its single street is bordered by neat whitewashed cottages with numerous little gardens of bright flowers and clusters of graceful and decorative tropical trees. It lies so near the base of the mountain that not a few of the huge stones that were loosened by the rains have come thundering down the heights and rolled almost to the fences that enclose the village suburbs. As we passed down the street, Dr. Fitch was greeted on every hand. He had been expected, for it was his custom to visit the settlement monthly, and many a shout of welcome was raised, and many an aloha, the fond salutation of the race, rang from doorway, window, and veranda. One group of stalwart fellows swung their hats in air and gave three lusty cheers for Kauka, the doctor, topping them off with a burst of childish laughter. Thus far, inasmuch as we had scarcely looked into the faces of these villagers, they seemed to us the merriest and most contented community in the world. But let it be remembered that we were all in the deep afternoon shadow, and our arrival was the sensation of the hour. By the roadside, in the edge of the village, between it and the sea, stood a little chapel, the cross upon its low belfry, and the larger cross, in the cemetery beyond, assured us that the poor villagers were not neglected in the hour of their extremity. As we drew near, the churchyard gate was swung open for us by a troop of laughing urchins, who stood hat in hand to give us welcome. Now, for the first time, I noticed that they were all disfigured, that their faces were seared and scarred, their hands and feet maimed and sometimes bleeding, their eyes like the eyes of some half-tamed animal, their mouths shapeless and their whole aspect in many cases repulsive. These were lepers. 
so were they each of them that had greeted us as we passed through the village so are they all with a few privileged exceptions who dwell in the two little villages under the cliffs by the sea other lepers gathered about us as we entered the churchyard the chapel steps were crowded with them for a stranger is seldom seen at Kalaweo, and as their number increased it seemed as if each newcomer was more horrible than the last until corruption could go no farther and flesh suffer no deeper dishonor this side of the grave they voluntarily drew aside as we advanced closing in behind us and encircling us at every step the chapel door stood ajar in a moment it was thrown open and a young priest paused upon the threshold to give us welcome his cassock was worn and faded his hair tumbled like a schoolboy's his hands stained and hardened by toil but the glow of health was in his face the buoyancy of youth in his manner while his ringing laugh his ready sympathy and his inspiring magnetism told of one who in any sphere might do a noble work and who in that which he has chosen is doing the noblest of all works this was father damien the self-exiled priest the one clean man in the midst of his flock of lepers we were urged to dine with him good soul he was conscious of asking us to the humblest of tables but we were a thousand times welcome to the best he had when we assured him that our dinner was even then in preparation and that we had packed over with us all the way from honolulu butter flour and other delicacies he insisted upon our adding a fowl to our bill of fare with his compliments and his blessing having with a few words dispersed the group of lepers it was constantly increasing in numbers and horrors he brought from his cottage into the churchyard a handful of corn and scattering a little of it upon the ground he gave a peculiar cry in a moment his fowls flocked from all quarters they seemed to descend out of the air in clouds they lit upon his arms and fed out of his hands they fought for a footing upon his shoulders and even upon his head they covered him with caresses and with feathers he stood knee-deep among as fine a flock of fowls as any fancier would care to see they were his pride his playthings and yet a brace of them he sacrificed upon the altar of friendship and bade us go in peace such was father damien of kalaweo end of chapter three